Hey, Sales Enabled Podcast listeners. This is Alistair Wilcock, co-host of the RevOps Podcast. We have another special episode for you coming right up. So if you like what you hear, come and subscribe and join us at the RevOps Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this week's RevOps Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcock, Chief Strategy Revenue Officer here at Revenue.io. And today, pleased to be joined by Barry Trailer. Barry is with Sales Mastery and a longtime professional in the space, part of the Accenture Luminary Worldwide, as well as formerly a few of his companies. He has exited successfully in the sales, coaching, and training space, including with Miller Hyman, which was acquired by Corn Ferry, and has a wonderful perspective on AI's impact in sales. Barry, it's fantastic to have somebody here with us today with your pedigree. Welcome. Well, thanks, Alistair. It's good to be here. So, you know, Barry, for the audience, you know, obviously you, you've spent a lifetime of getting the best out of sales and what is going on. And I was struck recently by a 2023 coaching impact report that you actually uh, just published. <laughs> and in there, there is this really fascinating numbers that we get to where you talk to the, how companies that adhered to a sales process and solution orientation prior to the downturn are now massively outperforming that of those that did not. And and I just want to start there because it's, it's we often heckle process in sales, right? We often heckle the repeatability. We often heckle you know those aspects of it and go, well, it's the art of the sale. It's the conversation. It's all of those things that really matter. But what you're suggesting here in the research that you've done is that the outperformers right now are those that actually adhere very strictly to a process and they adhere to coaching on that side. And and your results are pretty interesting. Like just before I hand this over to you, the the stat that really popped out for me was when we look at the win rates of those companies, it went from those that had ad hoc coaching and processes. 47%, those with formal coupled with advanced technologies in the space, we're getting close to 60%. And I don't know of anybody right now that is a sales leader in this environment that wouldn't like to improve their win rates by at least 13 points. Mm-hmm. Fascinating research. So what is going on behind the scenes on those numbers? Well, I think it's fair to say there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but I think it's also fair to say that when you net it out, you've probably hit on on the three high points, process augmented by or supported with technology and uh, coaching. And all three of those, I mean, you know, they're like, I hadn't thought of this, but you know, it's an old metaphor, a three-legged stool. Is it? And, you know, it's very stable when you have all three legs and uh, if any of them is shorter or missing, it's a problem. And you know, the thing that we say about, I, I, I want to maybe temper the intro a little bit because there's always this, you know, kind of push-pull, is it art, is it science, art or science? And I don't feel those need to be mutually exclusive for starters. And then the other thing that we say a lot is that, and, and you mentioned ad hoc and informal, it's not that you're unsuccessful when you operate in that way. It's that you're unpredictable when you operate in that way. Right. 
So there are people who operate, you know, completely in the moment. They are 110% artistic, if you will. They do not want to be burdened with technology or data. They want to be completely present and in this moment with no restriction. Right. Uh, that can work. Uh, and there are plenty of people who've done really well uh, in, in sales who have elevated, uh, established and elevated great relationships over time without any technology whatsoever. It's not a model that scales well, and uh, in most cases, it's not a model that predicts well. And, and that, that's the problem, you know, when I would introduce that notion at sales meetings, I would always start, we have a video on our website about, it's called making the number. It's all about the number, right? And everybody will say yes to that. And then I'll show plots of two companies over three years. One's plus or minus 5%, the other's plus or minus 50%. They both made their number during that three-year period, but if they were publicly traded companies, the plus or minus 5% would have three or four times the market cap of the plus or minus 50% because they're predictable. And the thing that most often determines that, or another way of looking at that would be to say they have their processes under control. So I, I hear you on the, the art coupling with the science, I, and I wouldn't disagree with you there. But I think for a lot of people, you know, we say we should institute a sales process. We say that we should have the trainings and the coaching components coming in there, but it's actually quite hard to systemize. It's quite hard to put that in. And again, if I just reference your own report here, one of the things you point out is that the companies that are beating quota, they're, they're doing better, right? 76%, so over three quarters have implemented a formal or higher sales process. So let's just let's just double on the process word here for a second. Uh -huh. What are the sales processes that are working and you know how heavy-handed are they in there? Like when you say they've implemented formalities and a higher sales process, are we talking they're excellent at their medic or medpick and challenger components or sense making, et cetera, and they've got it systemized across the company? What do you see that is different from the ones that are making it versus the ones that go, well, yes, we use Challenger, and and really they just use the lipstick version of Challenger? Well, I think there are two points to be made here. One uh, is distinguishing or differentiating methodology from process. So Challenger, strategic selling, customer-centric selling, whatever, fill-in-the-blank selling are methodologies. And what you get with methodologies are a common vocabulary right. and some tools to use that are consistent, shared among the group. Process is what people do and how well they do it. And we could spend a lot of time talking about both of those, but just to, just to make the point that they are different. I think the thing that when we've looked at it, we've been looking at it now for over 20 years, when Jim first defined four levels of sales process back in 2000 for an article he wrote for Forbes, it was ad hoc, informal, formal, and I forget what he called it. We, we changed it to dynamic some number of years ago. But in any event, as you move across those, Alistair, the things that are changing is more coaching, more collaboration, more technology, and, and increasingly more analytics. And so the way we would define them is ad hoc or random, basically everybody's doing their own thing. 
Right. You know, we hire good people and we get out of their way, which is really, in our view, just benign neglect from a management standpoint. But, you know, it is a philosophy. Informal, we have a sales process. People are exposed to it. The thing you're saying is kind of the lipstick version. They're exposed to it. They're expected to use it. But that is not monitored. It's not reinforced. It's not enforced. Formal, they are exposed to it. It's the way we do business around here. It's the SOP. Some people would say it's our Bible. And they can be nearly religious about it. And it is reinforced. It is enforced. It is baked into uh, the day-to-day. And dynamic, uh, you now have analytics and more technology being applied to it. Those were the, the definitions we used from 2007 when we introduced the sales relationship process matrix, the SRP matrix, up until last year in our Harvard article when we introduced and relabeled the fourth level agile sales process and added a fifth level, which is customized. And that's really looking at the introduction of AI and ML, machine learning, to augment process to augment all the rest of it. So I think consistency and collaboration and coaching are the the kind of the the watchwords as you move up in levels of process implementation. And what's what's interesting about that is I reflect on similar research you saw back at Gartner in the day. You would find the top performing sales managers were very adept at helping reps with regionalization. They're very adept at one-to-one coaching on around deals, the negotiation, what was needed, kind of the mechanics of the situation. So the situational awareness piece was very high among them. Mm-hmm. And they knew how to coach that. They knew how to scale that. They, they spent a disproportionate amount of their time thinking and acting that way mm-hmm. with their sellers. It's good. On the flip side of that, the bottom 25 percentile spent a lot of time in reporting. Uh-huh. They spent all the time looking at the forecasts and when here's the report that goes to my boss, that goes to his boss or her boss. Uh-huh. And I think this is a very big challenge. It's very hard. We talk methodologies, we talk process in an environment like we're in right now. You have a lot of people that naturally turn inwardly very quickly because they're responding to the reduction in pump pipeline. They're responding to the the difficulties in the market that are present right now, right? Deal cycles are extending. They, they're going to add the same headcount they thought they were. They still have to look at numbers. It's it's a it's a, you know it's going to be a hard few years for folks. Mm-hmm. And in that, it is really this idea that look, this is where a good, well-defined process actually stops you from falling back into the trap of over inward analysis, in my opinion. And it's going to allow you to actually follow a process that actually supports the reps in terms of the engagement side that is germane to top performing sales teams, right? So the, the process actually mirrors the steps and actions that need to occur on engagement and around support. And I think when you when you think of it in that way, it doesn't matter so much then the methodology I'm using of medic, medpick, challenger, you know, that's how I communicate. That's how I'm going to articulate value to the market and engage with clients. But the the process actually gives me the repeatable result I want. And it does seem that your research corroborates that thinking. Yeah, I don't think there's any question of that. The the thing that I think I absolutely agree with you describing, you know, the upper 20% and their situational awareness, and I would say process focused, I would also say consistency. 
versus the bottom 20% focused on reporting. But I'll tell you a story long before CRM, uh, a, a VP of sales that we worked with uh, was just rabid about uh, the numbers. And he was kind of an Excel maven. And so every uh, month, you know, he had the numbers on each of the reps. And every month he would send them their numbers and the team aggregate numbers. And it, it was a very short email that went to each rep. He said, please send me your reply, not longer than three paragraphs, telling me what these numbers mean to you. What's this? And if I don't have that by the end of business on whatever day, I will write you a one paragraph email telling you what these numbers mean to me. And what he really was doing was not focusing on reporting. He was forcing people to think about the numbers they were putting in the report. Yeah. And I think that may be another difference between the top and bottom 20% because they're actually asking themselves, what does this mean? What are these numbers telling us? And the answer is they're not telling you anything unless you think about them. Yeah. That, that, that's the difference between data and information. <laughs> so- I think that it's not best process. I think process is the way you consistently aggregate or accrue numbers so we're all measuring in the same units. That's what process gives you. But thinking about and really analyzing what are the numbers saying is a whole other part of the game. It, it really is. And there's a dizzying amount of data we're now able to collect around this, right? We can look at all kinds of engagement information, behavior information. We can look at different attributes. We can uh, look at things that are happening in calls, after calls. You know, a lot of these things are are there. I think often it's the synthesization of that down to the most basic things that are going to drive the action. And I would suggest to people, if you're looking at more than, I would say, six items at any given time, you're probably not going to make a sensible decision, right? You know, we For all of the fantastic dashboards I've seen in the world, the most simple ones are the most effective, right? I think there are a couple of things. Number one, we've been saying this for a long time. People are drowning in data and they're dying of thirst for actionable information. Yes. And so when you look at the pyramid of knowledge, you know, the base is data. One level up is information. Another level up is understanding. Another level up is knowledge. And the top level is wisdom. And right now, people are just drowning in data. And I think understanding which are the six gauges that we should be looking at that really matter requires perspective and wisdom over time. And, and in what you're seeing right now, uh, as people are pivoting with the market conditions, are there any particular metrics that are jumping out at you more dominantly than others right now? Well, I think there are a few that you know have caught headlines. I think the layoffs is a, is a metric that's catching my attention. And you mentioned... People who thought they were going to be adding headcount and art, you know, throwing bodies at it, I don't think is useful. Uh, one of the metrics that's deeply disturbing to me right now is the churn rate in SDRs and BDRs, as an example. I think that's just mind blowing. I think it's just terrible. I think win rates are always something people look at, but, you know, if we want to borrow a page from Jolt, we can really look at no decision rates. Uh, no decisions have, have been uh, kind of the, the winner over the last few years. It used to be uh, when we looked at the outcome of forecast deals, one lost and no decision, 
it was generally 50, 30, 20. They won half the deals that lost 30% of the competition and 20% went to no decision. And the no decision keeps creeping up. You know, it's upwards of 25% now, which means one out of every four deals that went through the entire sales buying journey dragged along and, and the resources and energy and emphasis that was given those the entire way wound up with nothing for anyone. I mean, that's really something. And, you know, to have that grow from just under 20%, it was like 19% up to 25. I mean, that's a 25% increase. Yeah. You know, that's, that's big. I've seen similar types of things as well. The no decision piece, a lot of people struggle with right now. Right, um, you know, it's it, you know, some put it down to deals just extending or things like that as well. But you know, what, what would you say to an enterprise today where you know they are trying to shore that up and not have that creep into their business? Like, what what are some of the tips for dealing with the no decision side? Well, so there are two things. One has been forever, and the other is for this point in time. <laughs> the first is this is a bet that I have been making for years and years and years with rooms full of VPs of sales. And my bet is I will bet you my house right now. You have good people working hard, trying to get business you don't want. And I still have my house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they nod their heads and it's like, what are we doing here, man? Are you kidding me? It's like, you know, whether you call it ICP, ideal customer profile, we call it perfect prospect profile, whatever you call it, what is it? Yep. And, you know, are you holding that up against all the leads that you're generating and qualifying against that or not? I mean, come on. And it's like, well, here's our ICP, but basically anybody who'll fog a mirror right now is, you know, like a hot ticket. Come on, man. And so this is not new. Qualify, qualify, qualify. Todd McCarthy, he's in search now, but when he was VP of sales, his coaching was always look for exit to door, exit to door. He was always trying to find out why we should stop these rather than drag them along. Yep. And so that's my number one. Number two, we have a, a paper on this, happy to uh, share with anyone or, or give you the link you can share. We call not the first rodeo, we won't be the last. Right now, a lot of people are saying, you know, are we, are we in a recession? Are we going into recession, hard landing, soft landing, whatever? Have we seen anything like this before? The pandemic? No, we've never seen anything like this before. Well, have we or haven't we? Well, 15 years ago, we had a thing called the Great Recession, you know, another black swan event. Yep. And the thing that we saw there that uh, served people well, number one, was really focusing on existing accounts. So the number one objective this year still is new accounts, new logos. But the number one thing people really made sure they took care of back in the, the last Black Swan was existing business, and then can they expand their footprint within the, those accounts? So I would say that's another thing to focus on. And the final thing I'll say about this, I could go on for some time, is we have written, I think this is in the same paper as you were talking about, uh, companies that were down at uh, the lower level of the sales performance scorecard if they continued to do in tough times what they did when things were good, they got crushed. But if they moved up to sort of at least formal sales process and a higher level of relationship, they basically held steady. The folks that were at that point to begin with and were doing well 
when things went south, if they continued to do what they'd always done, they got crushed. But if they went to a higher level of process and uh, higher levels of relationship, they again held steady. So, yeah, you know, those would be our recommended guidelines for you know how to weather this storm. And I, and, uh, I, I will summarize that back. You know, when I think of it, the ICP and the segmentation side is hugely important, right? You know, you relentlessly qualifying. You know, qualifying isn't a stage two thing. Qualifying is until you've won or lost the deal. Yes. Just let's say that again. Don't even say it different. Just say that again. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, qualifying all the way through the funnel, every single stage until you win it, win or lose. And that's important because the buying groups are big, right? And especially in the enterprise. Yeah. You can't just sell to a person and do bant. I know I'm going to sound provocative to some folks here, but am I, if, if bant is your, your methodology, Stop it now, because it's one of the worst methodologies you could possibly use to actually, you know, qualify something to make it real. Right? You talk to somebody, and they might have budget approval and need and timing, but it doesn't help when you have buying groups between the nine and thirteen people in an enterprise today. I thought the A in bet was authority, and if you actually have the right authority, it's okay. But most people have redefined the right authority as the highest person I can talk to. Well, and that's a, and bingo, and that's why it also goes. It, it fails so badly. We got to cover the other two, but I mean, it's just what we're talking about. That people often are single threaded in their relationships. So they hear what they want to hear, and they want to go do it. And I don't care if you're actually even touring all the way to you know a C level. Most C levels today are not going to make decisions in isolation on most things. Right? As a collaborative approach, they bring other things. They may be a final decision maker or somebody. Yes, this says I'm in or out, but but nonetheless, it's 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 just not a truism. And you know, a friend of mine is Doug Boucher, one phone analyst, um, works to Gartner Sales Leaders. He was just telling me a short time ago how you know during the pandemic that actually dropped, which which is really interesting data, right? So during that pandemic period where everybody was at home wondering what was going on, you actually saw the volume of decision makers decrease, which it hasn't for years. It's been growing for years. Mm -hmm. And what happened was you actually had everybody something going, look, we got to make decisions in our business. We got to move ahead. So just open it up a little. And and so it, that's, that's, what, that's literally what transpired. So the groups dropped down to about six people from their peaks of uh, that were prior to that pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. But today... Literally spot check. I think in their last, they did a, like six month spot check. Headed into 2023, it's actually at its highest levels nearly ever in terms of some of the biggest groups ever. So it's completely swung because now everybody's going, hold on, risk, risk, risk. Yeah. I don't want to have the risk right now. So because we're in a high risk, high stakes environment, you got a lot of people influencing on that. Hence, you better be always qualifying all the way through with all of the different constituents. Okay, so two things you said. One, hearing what they want to hear, that's been described as listening with happy ears. Yes. Uh, you know, it's hearing what you want to hear. Yeah, no. But the, to the point you were making, the number of decision makers actually went down. I believe that, but I also would be willing to push back and say, but I bet the level of the decision maker went up. That's right during that same period. For example, we did a case study with an executive that prior to the recession had $2 million signature authority, and during the recession uh, dropped down to below 50,000. 
His title didn't change, but his signature authority sure did. Sure, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, as my partner, Nikki, likes to say, during a recession, the CFO becomes the CF no. Yes. Can I have no? And uh, here's a no. Uh, no. <laughs> so. Well, listen, this has been fascinating. I think you know, the advice on focus on the ICP, relentlessly qualify people out, you know, it, it, is, it is so key. You know, instituting a rigorous process to go with your methodology. Clearly, your data is showing that's improving win rates <laughs> a lot right now, right? 13, 16%. That's fantastic. Actually, it's 13 to 16 points, which is more like 30%. It's an extraordinary shift, right? When we think yeah. about that overall. Um, but unfortunately, we are out of time right now. Okay. So what we'd love to do is have you back and we'll have you on another episode on this as well. I also want to dig on some of the forecasting pieces here with you as well, right? It's all great. We've talked about how we go get, but once we're actually working things, you know, what's going on there as well. But you know, Barry Trailer, um, Sales Mastery, wonderful to have you with us. We look forward to having you back on a future episode. Look forward to it myself. Thanks, Alistair. Thanks, Barry. And for those listening in, please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget to phone in with your questions. We are live now and uh, have done a couple episodes of live audience questions as well. You can reach us at 323-540-4777. That's 323-540-4777. And we'll see you next episode.